eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's a pregame edition. We've got another Big Ten matchup to look toward. Penn State hitting the road again in Big Ten play to take on the Maryland Terrapins down in College Park. 3.30 p.m. kickoff time here on Saturday. Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan will be present for all the action inside that press box. They will join us uh, here on the podcast momentarily to break down what we have learned about these Nittany Lions through another game week here in Happy Valley. But we actually begin this episode with a closer look at Maryland, a team that really started off hot. We projected this as a potential top 25 matchup really coming into October. Now that we've arrived in November, things look a little bit different down there in College Park. And for perspective on that, we bring in longtime 24-7 sports Maryland insider Jeff Ehrman. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Tyler, thanks for having me again. Well, you phrased it as a tale of two seasons uh, when, when you sent us some answers to questions for our, our, our website piece at lines247.com. Um, and, and can you kind of tell us about that first season, the one that featured the 5-0 and start and the second half lead over the Buckeyes in Columbus at Ohio State? And then we'll pick up the pieces on what has happened since then. Yeah, so the 5-0 and start, you know, was impressive at face value. A couple of the games, they didn't play all that well. But the bottom line is that it was against very weak competition, you know, None of those teams were turned out to be good teams. Virginia, they played Michigan State right in the middle of all their uh, controversy with Mel Tucker. And so after they got through that really soft early slate of games, they go out to Ohio State, like you said, play really well early, take control of the game, get a 10-0 lead. And then Talia Tungabailoa throws a pick six. That turns that game around, and that game kind of turns the whole season around in a bad way. Uh, and they lose back-to-back weeks, both times as two touchdown favorites against Illinois and Northwestern. So you can't uh, this season with more 
converse or diverse, I should say, results in the first half, second half, but it's not it's not utterly shocking. We all knew the first half of the schedule was going to be soft and the second half uh, was going to be more challenging. Well, Jeff, I feel like it's – I don't know if it's annual, but it, there's a sense that Maryland's get off to these hot starts. They flirt with the top 25. Maybe they crack the top 25. The ex- excitement brews, and then by the time you look up in mid-November – it's a different story. Uh, maybe last year they, they piled up more wins than we've been accustomed to, but does it feel like this is kind of far too familiar right now for Maryland fans? 100% it does. That's been kind of the, you know, when you talk to fans about why they don't go to the game, that's usually the number one reason is that every time uh, the team looks like it's doing well and off to a good start, Penn State or Michigan, Ohio State, whoever it is, comes in and it's a bloodbath. And so that's turned off some fans. So they were hoping this year would be different. Instead, it's been almost uh, it's been a more extreme version of that trend this year because of the teams they've lost to. You know, past years they took the blowouts against Penn State and the others, but they weren't losing uh, to teams like Illinois and Northwestern. So in that case, it's actually worse. Kind of compounds that uh, general negative sentiment in the fan base. So they really need to get it turned around. If not this Saturday, then then soon. Michael Oxley's year five now. Um, We talked about it a little bit here in terms of where where, can they take that next step in the Big Ten, and that doesn't get any more or any less complicated next year when the conference is going to expand and get rid of those divisions. But part of my cat walking by us here. But eight wins last season, uh, 5-0 start, and now three-game slide. And and you look ahead at what November presents for Maryland. Penn State here coming to town. You've got trips to Nebraska and Rutgers coming up. Those teams are playing certainly better here in 2023 than we've seen in recent seasons. And then Maryland still has Michigan on the schedule. So yeah. in your opinion, what, what needs to happen here in November for Mike Loxley to kind of save face here in year five and, and, and prevent it from looking like a significant step backward? Yeah, I mean, the biggest emergency goal is just win a game. Win any of the remaining four games get bowl eligible because if you start five and oh, and then you lose seven in a row and don't make a bowl, that's catastrophic for anybody, regardless of the situation. After that, you know, obviously the thing all along has been the same, beat Ohio State, Penn State, or Michigan. Just give the fans something to celebrate with a win over one of those three. Didn't happen against Ohio State, the way they're playing, you know, and and with how good Penn State is, it's going to be a tall task and probably even tougher against Michigan, but, you know, avoiding the uh, nightmare scenarios just to win a game after that. You know, if they could pull out two or even three, including a bowl game, it wouldn't go down with such a negative aftertaste. Um, Let's talk about when Maryland's right or when they look like they're right. Um, What what does that look like right now? I'd imagine that the passing game is front and center when Maryland gets rolling. And I know that Penn State, we've seen that, you know, play into these matchups in the past. A couple of big performances from the quarterback, Tagovailoa, one here in Beaver Stadium in a win, one down in College Park where Penn State prevailed. He put up a bunch of yards, almost 400 yards in 2021. Last year, totally different story. Shut out, under 100 passing yards, hit a bunch of times in the backfield. Talk about where he's at right now, because it feels like he is the spearhead, whether things are going right or whether things are going wrong. Yeah, he is. He's the gauge of how well they're playing. Uh, you're right. It's gonna the passing game is gonna have to thrive. I mean, Penn State's defense is is great all around, but you know if you're looking for a deficiency, you can get more yards per play throwing the ball against them than you can rushing. And Maryland's running game hasn't been very consistent, so that tells you they're gonna have to get something going in the passing game. 
Uh, like you said, Talia was really good in his first two career games against Penn State. He won out there uh, the first time around, and then he had, I think, 371 yards. And last year, it was a nightmare for him against Penn State. So, yeah, they, they need a good game against, against uh, by him, I should say. I don't see them being able to lean on the running game. I know Penn State's a little banged up uh, with Chop Robinson and, and elsewhere, so – I'm sure they're hoping that'll help their cause, you know, keeping them clean because they have a really good pass rush too. When you look around that offensive attack and, and, and the weaponry, it seems like they have the talent at wide receiver again. I mean, Roman Hemby had a big time freshman year last year at running back. Can you talk uh, about the supporting cast around Tagovailoa and, and kind of realistically where the playmakers are right now in this offense? Yeah, so Hemby had a great year last year, almost had a thousand yards as a redshirt freshman. This year, the production's falling off. It's not clear how much that was related to him being being nicked up earlier in the season or the offensive line. You know, there are a lot of questions about the offensive line. They've been more capable, I would say, than some people might have feared, but they're much better blocking for the pass than the run. So they, you know, despite a, really a lot of proven talent at running back, they haven't, you know, it's, it, it hasn't been a bad running game, but, it, you know, you can't lean on it for long stretches and things like that. So, you know, really the biggest threats are at receiver. You know, they have three of the top 13, I think, receivers in the Big Ten in terms of reception. Jay Sean Jones, uh, six-year senior, been around forever, made a lot of plays in his career. He's leading the way. He's, I think, sixth in the Big Ten. And they have Caden Prather, West Virginia uh, transfer. I'm sure some of your uh, audience is familiar with him from, from recruiting. Uh, he's been good. He's one of the top touchdown guys in the Big Ten. He's the deep end zone uh, jump ball kind of threat. And then Ty Felton has been a big playmaker for them, but also had some issues with drops at times. And then I would also say Corey Deitches is probably one of the more athletic tight ends in the country, definitely in the Big Ten. He's a big uh, target in the passing game. So so it's, it's a really well spread out attack. There's no one or two guy, two guys really who you know they're going to go to, but um, it's mostly been in the passing game. Defensively, I mean, this team is, is piled up some sacks. They're second to Penn State in the conference in sack totals. Um, when the defense has been clicking, who has been getting the job done? And when the defense has maybe unraveled a bit recently, where are the biggest causes for concern heading into this matchup? Yeah, the, the pass rush has been a little bit better than I thought because they'd lost most of their defensive line last year. They got some talented young linebackers, Jay Sean Barham, uh, another kid named Caleb Wheaton, and then Kellen Wyatt, all second-year guys who are athletic and big. Uh, you know, the sacks have been pretty well spread out. A guy to watch is Donnell Brown. He's a transfer from St. Francis out there in Pennsylvania, uh, FCS All-American. You know, they, they talked all offseason quietly that, you know, they felt like he's a NFL athlete, and he's looked like it. You know, he's he's been their most dynamic defensive player, had several interceptions, sack, fumble recovery. Uh, so he's he's another guy to keep an eye on. Um, anything that we need to be aware of in terms of special teams, you know, we, we've had a punt returner pop up here, Daquan Hardy in midseason that wouldn't have been on our radar earlier in the year, whether it's the kicking game, the return game, good, bad, anything that could that could maybe swing momentum over the course of this matchup. I mean, the field goal kicking game was a strength last year, obviously. Um, this year with, with Chad Ryland, who's now kicking for the Patriots. This year, it's fallen off a little bit. You have Jack Howes, guy who never kicked, uh, you know, on this level before this year. He's got the, he's got a strong leg. He's made some long ones, but he's also pretty inconsistent. So that's something to keep an eye on. 
You know, otherwise the return game struggled last, or excuse me, punt coverage team struggled last week. Uh, overall, they, you know, they haven't really shined on special teams anywhere, and they haven't really been bad on special teams anywhere. But you know, they do have a uh, couple explosive guys in the return game. Octavian Smith being the most slippery of the bunch. Um, when you talk about X factors here, I mean, uh, Maryland, uh, you know, two, two possession kind of underdog at home here. Uh, wh where are you looking on the field? Either side of the football against Penn State, where, where you just think it's an area where they've got to be good or they've got to get it done? Well, I mean, it would great, be great for them if, if they can get at least a respectable running game going, obviously, avoid having to throw it so many times. I think Tung Bailoa has the third most pass attempts in the country. Uh, which tells you something. Obviously, you know, defensively earlier this season, they were masking some of their deficiencies by forcing a lot of turnovers. They were, I think, I think Maryland and Penn State were actually tied in turnover margin for number one nationally as of a few weeks ago. But along with, with this losing streak, they haven't really been forcing them. I think they have, I think they've forced two turnovers in the last three games, which, you know, their secondary is not their strength. So if you're not getting turnovers, drives are usually going to, continue on them. Uh, that happened last week at one point against Northwestern. Northwestern scored on five straight drives. Not all touchdowns, but they scored on five straight drives, which shouldn't happen. So, you know, they, they really need the defense to play better this week. Uh, they need to get some pressure and they need to get some turnovers. As cliche as it is to say, you know, a team needs to get turnovers. Uh, one thing that we've been wondering about Penn State is how they're just going to surface on the field, How, what kind of uh, you know, motivation and what kind of momentum they're going to be able to develop because the last two games here at least, a loss against Ohio State, a clear hangover situation last Saturday, and a really scary situation for them against Indiana that no one saw coming. But I know in Maryland, you've got to be wondering that even more uh, about what kind of a team you're going to see show up to compete on Saturday based on your coverage this week so far and, and kind of what you've gathered from inside program facilities. What's your anticipation for what kind of a Terps team takes the field on Saturday afternoon? You know, I think they'll come out with the last ditch back against the wall kind of thing. I don't think that they've, they've quit, but I will say that with the caveat that, you know, last week against Northwestern, you could kind of see them looking a little bit flat early on, which is not something you want to see from a team that's just had two weeks off to stew on a really bad loss against Illinois. So that was a little uh, alarming, I would say. So it's really hard to guarantee they'll be fired up this week. But, you know, you would think with Penn State coming in and being on this slide, they're desperately trying to get out of and trying to get that breakthrough big win. I, I would guess that their effort will be better. But, you know, we'll have to see. And just in terms of Mike Loxley in, in this era, this regime, um, you know, it seems like he's built up enough goodwill with, with, you know, a couple winning seasons, some bowl victories where, you know, they're not going to push him to the exit door if it doesn't go right now. But if it doesn't really kind of get back on track here in November, uh, how much pressure is going to be on this coaching staff, starting with the head man, moving into the winter? Yeah, I think that's it. You know, people keep asking me if he's going to get fired. I don't think there's any chance he's going to get fired. He's built up too much goodwill, both as being part of the Maryland community for about 30 years. You know, this is his third stint on the staff there. Um, and he grew up Maryland fan. He's just a Maryland guy. So he has that going for him. And he's also the past few years, you know, they've won a bowl game both years and they, they won 15 games combined, which might not sound like a lot, but considering the struggles they'd had and they hadn't done either one of those things in about 15 years. So, 
You're not, you know, you're not going to turn around and, and boot a guy who's doing that. At the same time, if you were to start five and zero and then lose seven in a row, or even if you go six and six or six and seven, but especially five and five and seven, there's there will be pressure heading into next year. Uh, focused here on this Saturday, would love to hear what you think ultimately how this one plays out down in College Park and and what we get for a final score. I think it's probably a low scoring game. I know Penn State's coming off a deep, uh, you know, disappointing defense defensive performance by their standards. Maryland is too. Like I said, should be playing with that kind of desperation. So I don't think it'll be a shootout. Uh, you know, I'm thinking something in the range of. Penn State 27, Maryland 21, somewhere there. But it's really hard to guess because with this Maryland team, we still don't know necessarily who they are after what happened in the, in, you know, the first half of the season and in the past few games and whether they, whether they have it in them to bounce back. So it'll be interesting. Jeff Herman, longtime Maryland reporter here at Lions, not Lions 24-7, at 24-7 Sports. And we appreciate him hopping on Lions 24-7 podcast for each of these game weeks when it comes due. Uh, we appreciate it, Jeff. Uh, and enjoy the coverage for the rest of the week, and we'll talk to you real soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Let's shift gears and get into the Penn State conversation now on our pregame podcast. We've got Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan joining me. We were all at the practice field at team facilities on Wednesday evening per usual following our look at Penn State practice. We heard from James Franklin. We caught up with a few members of the roster as well. So uh, we're ready to empty the notebook. We actually just had a conversation with Ty Howell, who's a tight ends coach for Penn State, former Nittany Lions offensive lineman. So all of our availability is concluded. We got a few more things to write, get over to the site between now and 3.30 p.m. kickoff. These guys will be down there on location inside the stadium. And Mark, we'll begin with you. We had a chance to hear from James Franklin, as usual, after practice. We'll talk about some of our observations that do involve player availability, some injury updates. But James Franklin, toward the end there, um, discussed kind of some frustrations, I think, about the noise around his program and a lot of, I guess, the, the holes that are being poked externally into Penn State right now based on a, a less than stellar performance against Indiana that followed a frustrating loss against Ohio State. And the one thing that really stuck out to me from a five-minute you know, kind of answer here from James Franklin uh, was, I won't apologize for winning. Um, I think that kind of summed it up pretty well. What, what's your sense of where this team is right now, the first week of November? Uh, and it, often we try to take that pulse through the head coach. Yeah, the other thing he said, and I, I brought it up here just just uh, so I'm quoting it accurately, but he said, I mean, there's teams that are ranked number one, number two, number three in the country, and they struggle to get a win, and nobody kind of talks about that. But when we struggle to get a win, it's not as pretty. Everybody's like, is overly concerned. Th that's just not true. I mean, if the number one, number two, or number three team in the country struggled, struggled against Indiana the way Penn State did, fans would be going ballistic at those schools too, right? I mean, it's it's it's, and I, I don't blame James Franklin for not understanding that or not knowing that because you can't expect him to keep the pulse on the fan response at every school across the nation. But this isn't something that's unique to, to Penn State. I mean, just look at what Dabo Sweeney just went through and in and, 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 and the diatribe he went on, you know, recently against Tyler from Spartanburg. So I think he's looking at that not quite in, in the right way. And the other thing that I would say is you, you got to be real careful when you're going into this territory because the alternative is fans don't care. And I have covered teams at Penn State, not necessarily football teams, 
Well, I did cover some football teams in the early 2000s where fans stopped caring. But, you know, I've covered hoops long enough where there have been years where fans just don't care, where if you lose a game, they don't care. And that's when you're in trouble. So I, I don't buy that. I don't think Penn State is any different than any other school that has high expectations. And if you don't want to if, – if you're not setting your expectations high, don't be – or if you are setting your expectations high – don't be upset when your fans get upset when it looks like you're not quite reaching those expectations. And, and listen, that Indiana game didn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, it was coming off of another disappointing loss to Ohio State. So I have a lot of respect for James Franklin, and I think he's a super, super intelligent person. But in this instance, I don't know that he has his finger on the pulse of the college football nation to, to, to seriously think that if any top 10 team played that way against the Indiana, that their fan base would be okay with it. I would encourage James to go check out our Washington uh, fan board. Uh, I don't think if you want to see how they were reacting to a really poor performance against a really bad Stanford yeah. team last week, they nearly lost to Stanford and Stanford is a very bad team. There's frustrations out there. And, and, and but look with James, I think in this case, you know, he, it was about 90% through the, the post-practice availability when this popped up. Um, and, and clearly it was something that that was on his chest, on his shoulders throughout the week for him to, you know, to, to, to vent a bit, I think, publicly with us uh, in the media in this situation. Um, but to me, it's a little bit counterintuitive to something you said, Mark, when, when he already had the public statement uh, you know, about great to elite. Isn't this part of that process? If you go great to elite, you know, you can't get by with beating Indiana on a, on a last second bomb. Uh, you know, you, you can't get by with playing hangover games after you lose to Ohio State for, for the seventh straight time. Um, it, it's just you are up to a different standard of scrutiny. You know, Maryland, their fans are who knows what kind of fans are going to show up. The apathetic fans might show up, if at all, to that stadium. You know, if Penn State loses a few in a row, they're going to show up to the stadium and boo James Franklin. This is a passionate, passionate fan base. And I just think that this was interesting to me a little bit, peeling back the curtain that, he certainly felt slighted or he felt like he needed to defend his team because maybe he just felt like they weren't getting the attention for the win um, and versus people kind of treating it as a second consecutive loss or some kind of deflating situation. This stemmed from a question, Daniel, as you know, about whether he felt the last couple of weeks galvanized this team, which I thought, you know, you could ask that question. We've had those kind of conversations with players on the roster and to guys like Devon Ellis telling us about the open, honest, uncomfortable kind of conversations they've had. And James Franklin has handed that as well. Um, what do you make of this from James? Again, five minutes uninterrupted, a couple days ahead of, of a Big Ten matchup. And it's a team that still has everything to gain here in November. Uh, Daniel? <laughs> uh, I, I thought Mark made a great point about the alternative. I mean, people at Penn State care. And you look at what some of your other options are and, and different fan bases. And Maryland is the perfect example. I was going through some audio and, and video of their players talking this week. And uh, the players got asked about what kind of crowd they think that they'll have uh, in College Park on Saturday. Uh, someone said that they're expecting a, you know, a great crowd because Big Ten matchup, number nine ranked team coming in. Um, this is a game that the Maryland fan base gets up for. Uh, but then another player, the defensive back, Bo Braid, said, you know, if people show up, you know, they're going to show up. But if they don't show up, it's their fault for losing three straight games. Um, so it, it's an interesting spot to be in because, you know, 
because I mean, it's also just part of the job at Penn State, uh, having this much scrutiny, having this much attention, factoring in the great to elite, um, and having a you know a hundred thousand people in the stadium the on a noon game on Halloween weekend, the weekend after you lose, you know, your biggest game of the year so far. Um, you know, I, I think that it's is that part of it is is kind of interesting. But you know, I, I think that it was probably something that was on James Franklin's mind for a while this week. I, I think that every once in a while he kind of waits for a, a question that gets asked that he can free associate a little bit to kind of get to where he wants to go. Um and then it's kind of you know off to the races, I guess. Um, but you know, I it was one of those things though where I kind of felt like the the conversation that was happening around this team it was it was pretty like I didn't think it was overly negative a little bit. You know, I think that there are segments, you know, when you get really into the weeds in the message board um, and those sorts of things like, yeah, they're the diehards um, and people like us who are just so in the weeds with it. It's and Twitter. I mean, yeah, if you want to yeah. go look at the Twitter, uh, you're going to find whatever you need to find that, too. But when you look at the national perspective, I mean, Penn State went up a spot in the AP poll and the coaches poll. Um, I, I don't really think that their national perception has changed that much. I think that maybe they got hurt a little bit in the college football playoff rankings. And I think that their start there at number 11 and what's ahead of them, that's kind, that kind of creates a little bit of a rockier road for Penn State to get to the New Year's Six, much less the college football playoff. Um, but I, you know, I, every once in a while, you know, James Franklin, I think, just needs to get something off his chest. I mean, these media sessions are, you know, they're for us, but sometimes they can also be for him to give him the opportunity uh, to, you know, talk through some things, to get some stuff out there, you know, work on it, get whatever message he wants out there. And uh, I think he, you know, he found, he found kind of the, the door was opened a little mm -hmm. bit and he was able to, to walk through. But I think in talking to the players this week, that, that question about, um, you know, being galvanized by, by that sort of game. I, I think that this team, there's a lot of veterans and even the young guys on the team have played a lot of football. So I don't necessarily think that there's so much a, a galvanizing thing coming out of the Indiana game. I, I think that the players are just very much like, yeah, this is life in the big 10. Um, you know, they knew that stuff like this can happen. They knew that they can be in for a tough game. Um, I think you look at the defense and we talked about how they'd been playing at such a high level. Um, and you talk about complimentary football, you know, for the first half of the season, the defense was really the complement to the offense because the offense was the one that would be shaky here or there. And the defense would, would keep things in, you know, kind of there until the offense figured it out and could go. This was the game where the defense needed the offense. And I think that the, the players that we talked to this week just kind of had a, a pretty holistic view. Uh, of, of everything that's going on. We did hear the phrase wake up call though, from Curtis Jacobs. So I think that there, there, there is something to be said and some of what Devon Ellie said, and, and I think you can just pick it up. Uh, there's, there's an urgency involved here as they get into November. And I don't think they felt like they put out their best film and, you know, on, on either side of the football last Saturday, and certainly not on the offensive side of the football, the Saturday before that. And, and so ultimately I, it's it just, it doesn't always seem to stem from the Ohio state matchup. 
when, when it's, you know, it's last year after the Ohio State matchup, it's the press conference before we get into November about, you know, or actually the start of November, you know, Sean Clifford's still a starting quarterback. That's a press conference where there's something different in the air. They go out and they win the next five games. In fact, they win the next 11 games when you talk about everything they've done. And then they run to Ohio State again. And then here we are, and there's just something a little bit different in the air. And then James got to get this off his chest. So it feels like the pressure is built up a little bit in a way that it hasn't been built up since last year, that first week of November, after the second loss against Ohio State. The difference here is they've only got one loss, and they've still got Michigan on the schedule. And so, Mark, here, looking at Maryland matchup, don't you just – Penn State's biggest remedy for them, for the fan base, for James Franklin, would be to go down there and pound the Terps with authority. Not let them linger, not start the game slow, but they've got to go actually do it and execute it. To me, that's kind of the cure-all right now that can get you rolling towards Michigan. Yeah, one last thing about the Indiana game. In in a week and a half, nobody's even going to remember that game was even played. You know what I mean? Like no, it, That is going to be so far from any – and no matter what happens the next two weeks. But you know, it, you know, in, in – uh, in, in a week and a half, once they get through that Michigan game, no matter what happens in that game, nobody's going to even remember that Indiana game. But with respect to uh, Maryland, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that came out of the Indiana game, and you don't want to put yourself in that position, and you don't want to, you, you don't. I think anybody who was suggesting that Drew Aller throwing an interception was was somehow a good thing. No, that wasn't a good thing, and it wasn't a good thing that the defense didn't play well. But I think they showed themselves all of them, offense, defense, special teams, you name it, that if they are in a tight spot, they can pull out a game by making clutch plays. So you can do that now. But I agree with you. I think if they go down, and especially the defense, I think the defense, to me, I think we could chalk that up as an aberration against against uh, against Indiana. You know, a, a part of that hangover, a, te- a unit that's been playing really, really well all season and just didn't quite have it that day. And that's going to be the thing that sticks out to me. Because I think if that defense comes out and plays at the level it's capable of playing, it's not really going to matter what the offense does. Because the defense will give the offense enough opportunities to score enough points to beat a Maryland. So that's why when I'm looking at this game, listen, it'd be great if uh, for Penn State if they could get the ground game going, if Drew Aller keeps showing confidence, if the deep ball becomes more of it because you know they have all this mojo off of the, the Indiana game. But to me... This team is about what this defense is able to do. And if it, sh- if it comes out and makes an early statement and shows that, that that last week's game was an aberration, I don't think it's going to matter. I think Penn State is going to win uh, going away. So that, that's the key thing. Do I think that's going to happen? Yeah, I do. Because, again, I, what we've seen against this, uh, from this defense, even against a really good Ohio State team, is that it can play at an elite level. And if it gets back to that, which I think it will, that will be the statement that you're looking for. Maybe I was a week late on the defensive response. I picked the shutout last week. Maybe maybe they, they serve uh, serve up a huge portion of, of, of dominance this week in a way we haven't seen since that Ohio State matchup. And so, look, we, we got the uh, defensive in, in focus right now. So let's let's look at Chop Robinson, Amin Vanover, a couple defensive ends who were not on the field last Saturday. They left early at Ohio State a couple weeks ago. We, again, did not see Chop Robinson in our practice look on Wednesday. James Franklin told us uh, most recently that it's a sooner rather than later situation, but we haven't gotten any updates on his situation. With Amin Vanover, who was listed as questionable in pregame last week, was kind of sort of involved in pregame work a little bit. Uh, He was a full go. He was a practice participant. That included one-on-one work. He was just like everybody else out there. So that's a strong indication 
The question becomes if, if you get one of those guys back and not Chop Robinson, which is unfortunate because the chance to go down to College Park, campus for his freshman year. He had two sacks against Maryland last year up in Beaver Stadium. So individually, he gets robbed of a really cool opportunity there, though. But does this mean Jamil Lyons is still a factor? He only played four snaps last week, but if they're electing to go with him, he burns his red shirt. He's got five games. One snap in November burns his red shirt. With that in play here, Daniel, deny Dennis Sutton. We know we're going to see a lot of him. And people are really excited about how the former five-star is coming along. He led all defensive linemen with six tackles against Indiana, played a ton of football, had the sack that sealed the game, led to a safety. Um, and he's someone that if Chop Robinson unavailable again, he may not be a Maryland native. He's a Delaware guy who played high school ball in Maryland. But he's heading back to his home territory, and he's someone that you circle three times when you think about who could have an impact off the edge. Definitely. I think that we've seen Penn State have success against the Maryland offensive line at, at this point in the year. Uh, later on, you know, there is some talent in there. Um, you know, DJ Glaze is the left tackle uh, for Maryland, who Deny Dennis Sutton will most likely be matched up against. And he has a pretty good reputation. I think he's a draft prospect for next year. James Franklin shouted him out as a player to watch before last year's matchup. Um, but I do think that you really you know, have to keep an eye on deny Dennis Sutton. I mean, we, we talk about it a lot that these edge rushers that Penn State has are guys that can really change a game and, and alter a game when you look at Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson, uh, and deny Dennis Sutton. And I, I think that over the course of the year and a half that we've seen deny uh, get work here at Penn State, we've really seen it kind of start to come along. Like last year, he had those, you know, his all the sacks came in garbage time. Uh, and then this year we've seen him take that progression forward to now where he's in that top three rotation and we're seeing him make plays, um, you know, in, in the run of play. So I, I think when you look at the success that the Penn State defensive line and pass rush can have, I think you have to start with deny um, op <clears throat> opposite Adisa Isaac. Um especially if Chop Robinson can't go because we know the the type of player that Chop Robinson is, the skill set that he has. Um, you know, it, it would have been really cool to see him get the chance to go back to College Park. Uh, I had a bunch of quotes from his former Maryland teammates uh, uh, that I was hoping to be able to use uh, th this this weekend. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, but I think you look at Deny uh, as someone who can really step up and have a big game. And I think getting a man, a mean Vanover is back to is, is really big for keeping the, those guys fresh um, and, and being able to rotate so that when you do get to the fourth quarter and if the game is still in doubt that you know, Adisa Isaac and Denida Sutton are a little fresher and can get after it a little bit more. Yeah, you can go full four-man rotation there with, with, with Amin Vanover and Zariah Fisher, and, and then you really don't have to use Jameel Lyons, but you just wonder what the plan is for him. Do they just say, hey, we're in with him. Let's burn red shirt. He's going to be a factor. That probably is also dependent on what's going on with Chop Robinson. We are not ruling him out. Penn State has not ruled him out, but two hours before that kickoff, 3.30. So 1.30, uh, we'll get something uh, at least questionable or ruled out with Chop Robinson. Of course, we'll have the travel roster a little bit after that. But uh, when we don't see a guy on Wednesday and he was missing the preceding game, that, that's usually not a great sign about where things are trending. Uh, we did get a good sign with Caden Wallace, as kind of expected, because James Franklin set that up for us on Tuesday by saying he didn't anticipate Caden Wallace to be in jeopardy for, for playing against Maryland. He left very early, the first quarter against Indiana, and he did not return at right tackle. Drew Shelton showed the rest of the way opposite of Olu Fashionu. 
But, Mark, we talked quite a bit back in August about how important Caden Wallace was going to be for this team. And to me, in November, especially with Michigan up ahead, but here against Maryland, a team that, as I discussed with Jeff before you guys came on, they're second in the Big Ten in sacks. I mean, they have found a spark with their pass rush a bit, some young pass rushers. It's getting that from the second level as well. And to have Caden Wallace back and, and ready to roll at right tackle, not just here on, on November 4th, but for the month of November, dodged a pretty big bullet when you see that guy lumber into the sidelines and not coming back for the final three quarters last Saturday. Yeah, and I think if we look at the way that that offensive line played against Indiana, I mean, I said it earlier in the week, I just don't think the communication was was quite there. And what better way to address that than to, to get back a guy who has started just a ton of games in his career and has played really well uh, this season overall? Not every single snap, but he's been much more consistent uh, that he had been. It's pretty interesting that James Franklin was asked specifically about the offensive line on Tuesday. That's going to be hard because we're going to have to start saying Monday pretty soon, and that's going to be <laughs> I'm going to be all out of whack. But you know, he, the way that he responded, he he basically said overall that everybody has to play better. But I think he was he was focusing because he doesn't like to point out one group. But I think he was basically saying that that offensive line has to play better than it's played the last couple of weeks. And I agree with that. I mean, this was supposed to be a unit that was going to be deep, a veteran group, uh, and you were going to be able to really lean on it. And it's not really imposed its will on anybody yet. You know, even playing the three worst rush defenses in the Big Ten, it's just not been able to get that done. And I agree with you, Tyler, for these last – when you're in November – in these last four games, you know it's looming two weeks from now. You know that sooner or later there's going to be awful weather. It's not going to be this week. It looks like the weather's going to be great. But I just think all of that, you know, getting your your most veteran guys out there, uh, getting a unit that's able to kind of impose its will finally, not take what the defense is giving, which they've been unable to do, frankly, uh, but to go out there and kind of impose your will. And that's where, again, I think the, the Penn State defense is going to be the key to this game. But if you're looking for a good sign on offense, it will be can that offensive line forget about the skill position players for a minute. I mean, but I just think that offensive line, if they're able to impose their will finally against somebody, I think that's going to be a good sign heading into this last four, you know, three, four games of the season. We'll be right back on the Lions 24 7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got 
you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. James Franklin did say that we will see Drew Shelton involved. We did not see Drew Shelton against Ohio State. It was just the five starting offensive linemen. That was also an occasion in Columbus where you did not have J.B. Nelson available except for an emergency situation, according to Franklin. Nelson came back into play last week, played 40-plus snaps, was back as a member of that guard rotation. Maybe he's back in the starting lineup this week at left guard, but him, Vega Ioane, Salim Wormley, all going to be rotating again on the interior. Let's get over to those skill positions. And, and fellas, we made it 35-plus minutes here of recording without talking receivers. And I think that's okay because we've, we've addressed that position so much of late here on the podcast. But it is a pressing issue, and, and it's time to figure out what they've got for the final month of the season. Harrison Wallace was not present during our portion of practice that we were involved at. Not necessarily a surprise, uh, considering he had a sling on his right arm after his exit uh, against Indiana. Um, so a, a guy that, again, we, we've spent a lot of time with Harrison Wallace, been well-documented that he has been viewed as the number two uh, co-starter next to Keandre Lambert-Smith for quite some time. His availability has been a question mark here for much of the season for one reason or another, a couple different injuries, uh, but even when available, still averaging about four catches for 40 yards in those games. So not on the field as of now. Doesn't look like he'll be on the field against Maryland. We'll, we'll talk about long term next week with, with Harrison Wallace. And this is where you look over at Dante Cephas. So we had a chance to meet with Daniel on Wednesday night at Penn State's practice facilities. It was our first time since that first week of August, back a media day in the preseason. So there was a lot to catch up on with Cephas. And before we got Dante Cephas, I brought his name up to James Franklin and, you know, said three months on the field now for you guys. Where, you know, what's the progress report? Franklin talked about the comfort level increasing, and he made an interesting correlation, I thought, to junior college pickups. And he said about – how it can take till about the second half of that season where they find their footing and really are just going through the process seamlessly. And then you get a second year with those guys and that's where you can really get the value. And it's interesting that he brought the second year because as we know, Dante Cephas, because of the COVID year has the ability to come back to Penn state in 2024, but Daniel, they're putting this guy up in front of us, putting the cameras and microphones in his face. They got him out for 40 snaps there last week. We hadn't seen much of him. He started a couple games, but do you get the sense that it's go for launch time and Dante Stevens is either going to flourish or fail in front of us here in November? 
I mean, there's no better time to be go for launch than than now. I mean, it's been you know, we're two months into the season, three months if you include August, and for you know being the the really high profile transfer, um, there's there's not really you know much to show for it. Um, I was when I was watching uh, Maryland's availability this week. Uh, you know, Bo Braid, the safety, was asked about Keandre Lambert Smith specifically, and then he pivoted to bring up Dante Cephas and a game that Kent State played at Maryland in 2021, uh, where Dante Cephas had 10 catches for 151 yards and a touchdown. Um, and Bo Grade was like, you know, we know that he's he's legit, that it's more than, than just Keandre Lambert-Smith. You turn around and you look at Dante Cephas's numbers for the year to date, 11 catches, 146 yards, zero touchdowns. Um, so in, Mar- in CQ Stadium, he's pretty much been a, almost a more productive wide receiver than in his career at Penn state so far. Um, so I, I think that if, if Dante Cephas is going to show something to us this year, um, it is going to start now. Um, I, I do think that there is something to be said for that leap up um, from Kent state from the Mac. Um, James Franklin kind of prefaced his remarks about Cephas and, and that part by saying that he didn't want to you know, talk down where Cephas was before, but you know, these you coming up from the Mac to the big 10, there's just a lot of differences. I think that we talk about a lot of maybe the, the positives in terms of the resources that you have as a player, access to the weight room, nutrition, support staff, everything like that. But at the same time, you have a leap up in competition in practice. You have a leap up in competition every Saturday. I think that was something that James Franklin brought up earlier this year where you know, Dante Cephas really has to bring it every Saturday now for the first time in his career. It's not like when you're at Kent State where you show up for those you know, for the the out of conference games where you're in a bye game at a Power Five school and then you can maybe throttle back and still be productive through through the middle of the max schedule. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which version of of Dante Cephas we get if we finally start to see um, some of this chemistry. We've heard that he's worked to develop a relationship with Drew Aller. They've spent a lot of time together um, and. I guess at some point that should translate onto the field, but we just haven't seen it yet. But I, I think that this is these next couple of games are a prime opportunity to see what we have in Dante Cephas. I mean, they need someone to step up at wide receiver. You're losing Harrison Wallace. I know they like their two tight end sets, but there comes a that can limit you at some points. You know, you're going to need to put three wide receivers out there sometimes. You're going to need to get that speed out there, especially if you need big plays. So I think that that's where Dante Cephas could come into play, and he's got to show it now. Cephas, the last couple seasons at Kent State, 130 total catches, just shy of 2,000 total receiving yards, 12 touchdowns, uh, makes the move here, and, and and not over two catches in a single game yet. His, his max uh, yardage output thus far against Delaware, 36 yards. He had two catches for 15 yards last week against Indiana. He was the only receiver aside from Keandre Lambert Smith who caught a pass against Indiana. And Mark, I guess we'll just finish up with, with the receiver commentary uh, and the Dante Cephas commentary here because you were staying alongside me um, with, during Dante Cephas's discussion. I thought he was fairly candid, you know, just saying there that, yeah, that things move fast. 
things moved faster when he got to this campus and discussed dealing with some of the defensive backs here at Penn State. But he really talked about just getting in the playbook and, and understanding the assignments parts. And, um, you know, he's not a long winded guy uh, like me. He, he doesn't give a lot of long answers to you. But I thought it was pretty interesting just because we hadn't gone face to face with him since he actually got in some game action. And I thought that stood out and his positivity. I mean, this was a very optimistic the version of, of Dante Cephas. I haven't really encountered any many versions of Dante Cephas, but here you, you kind of could understand if there was some frustration bubbling to the surface. There was none. I mean, he was talking about doing what he could to get the team wins. Uh, he says that the, the the targets, the catches, they'll come when he, when and when the time's right. So I came away pretty impressed with Dante Cephas' his mindset right now, and he's, he's a lifting partner with Drew Aller, and that's not by mistake by the Penn State staff. And it just right. feels like everything's set up here. But uh, it's got to happen, man, because if it doesn't happen now, we, they've been looking for solutions at wide receiver. And, and it's just a revolving door of, of kind of who's going to play, who's not going to play, all those question marks. Cephas seems like he's going to be playing a lot against Maryland. What do you make of his situation and overall what we've got beyond Keandre Lambert-Smith here on the start of November? Yeah, I think you hit on it. You know, the, the interesting thing about Cephas, and I have video of that. I should post some of it so people get to know him a little bit, and I apologize for not doing that sooner. But you remember, like, every photo we had of him, like, in the summer and preseason camp, he was, like, mean-mugging. He just – he looked like he was angry about something. And then it was pretty cool because then you get to talk to him, and he's like, that that's not who he is whatsoever. And I don't think he could have carried himself any better in everything that we were asking him because he was asked some pretty direct questions. You know, how difficult is it? How difficult was it when you weren't able to have the kind of production that you probably hoped you had or you, know, you would have early in the season? And he was just like a team first guy had a smile on his face and I think carried himself extremely well. So this is a great opportunity for him. You know, he had he had opportunities earlier in the season where he made a couple of starts and it didn't necessarily translate into big numbers. But, you know, now he's in a position. Where, well, I don't know if he actually started, but he was one of those the, the top guys when Wallace was out. But regardless, now he's in a position where. Okay, you know, you've been around long enough. You ought to be comfortable. You're going to a place where D Daniel said that you've had success before. So every opportunity is there. That's been the one, you know, I hate to say disappointing because these are college kids, but multiple players have had opportunities to step up and, and be that second or third guy. And nobody's been able to really do it. And so now it looks like he's getting another bit of a shot. And let's see if he's able to pull it off. He's certainly saying all the right things. He's carrying himself the right way. He's done it in the past. So everything is there for him to succeed. Uh, and I think maybe he's getting in there against the type of opponent that might allow it to succeed. Because if I'm not incorrect, I think this team's like 12th or somewhere down there in the Big Ten in pass defense. I'm curious if there's like a case of whiplash here from Malik McLean going from like no usage to 60 snaps. And if he gets throttled back to like very minimum usage again, because obviously he was in the plans in the game plan against Indiana. He was the understudy to Harrison Wallace. And that's the the route they took. Uh, just really curious to see what his role looks like. You know, one target in those 60 snaps against Indiana for the Florida State transfer. And then we talked so much the second year receivers. Any of them, you know, even going to get some run this time? Uh, we didn't see any of them involved last week, but Caden Saunders, Omari Evans, even Christian Driver, a guy like Anthony Ivey. Will any of them come bubble up to the surface in the wide receiver situation uh, against Maryland? That, that's just a question that we'll, we'll get answered on uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, fortunately for this offense, Daniel, the tight ends have been productive, and we haven't seen you know a singular virtuoso season for any of these guys, but. 
Tyler Warren has jumped up and, and caught a bunch of touchdowns. He's among Big Ten leaders. Uh, Theo Johnson has really started to, to heat up here in the second half of the season, much like he did last year, getting vertical on some plays. Uh, Khalil Dinkins has caught a couple fourth down touchdowns. And collectively, Penn State puts out a graphic, and, and I think it's a pretty good one today, so I'm going to mention it here on the podcast. They lead the nation in tight end touchdowns. That's 10 of them. I believe they were right around there last year, pretty deep into the season too. So what do you think that this room can do for them? That You mentioned there's some limitations if you go two tight ends or certainly three tight ends involved, but Theo Johnson to me still feels like the guy, and Tyler, War Tyler Warren has proven it, but Theo Johnson can ignite something for this team moving into November. I think that in some of the ways that I looked at it, at least coming into the year, when, when you talk about those two tight end sets, I kind of looked at it as if Theo Johnson is out there, he could essentially be a, a third wide receiver based on what we've seen from him with his ability to make big plays, to pick up big chunks of yardage and his combination of athleticism and, and speed and, and size and everything. Um, he got off to kind of a quiet start, but I think these past couple of weeks, we've started to see a little bit more of the, the Theo Johnson that I think we thought we would see. Um, he had four catches, 66 yards, two touchdowns against UMass, had a big 30 plus yard catch against Ohio State. And then made that really nice play on the touchdown catch uh, against Indiana uh, last weekend where, where he went up, fought through it, uh, and got the ball. So yeah, I think that this group can really help you move the ball. I, I think that they've done a good job this year of keeping Penn State on schedule. Some of those longer drives, I think that Tyler Warren has been really reliable when it comes to you know, third downs and when Drew Aller is, is looking to move the chains and isn't necessarily looking downfield. But I think the key now is for this tight end group to help you get some of those bigger plays for Theo Johnson to be able to pick up, you know, 15, 20 yards. I mean, even Tyler Warren, you know, we were talking to Ty Howell earlier today and Ty Howell was talking about uh, Tyler Warren's toughness, his basketball background, his kind of spatial awareness that he has these sorts of traits that I think can help you uh, move the ball and, and pick up bigger chunks of yardage. So maybe seeing a little bit more of that, but I think that this group has been really reliable. Um, I felt that Bretton strange was going to be one of the more um, under the radar or underrated losses coming out of last year, given what he did in the run game and the pass game. Um, I think that they've done a, a decent job, um, you know, trying to make up for his absence. But I, I think that with the way that the wide receivers have been playing this year, I know we're talking about needing to see the wide receivers step up, but I think that this is where the, the tight ends can really kick it into gear because what we've kind of talked about, there's no track record for the wide receivers outside of Keandre Lambert-Smith. We do have more of a track record for these tight ends, even going back beyond this year. So it might not be pretty. It might be kind of boggy, like a bog down offense in terms of how it's moving the ball downfield. But I think that if these are the players that can help your offense move the ball, help your offense score points and win you games, you need to feed them a little bit more now and you know, try to get them involved and try to get them involved in ways that will help you get bigger plays. I, I think that that's something that Oh, once we get to my bold prediction, I'll talk a little more about it. But I, I think we can see a little bit more from these guys. 
Yeah, perhaps a sense of deja vu with Theo Johnson, who was very quiet as a pass target through the bye week last year and then erupted in a big way for the second half of the season. Ended up leading the team with about 16 yards per catch on the year at the tight end position. Through the first three games this season, he had four catches for 46 yards. In the last five games, he has 16 catches, 181 yards, three touchdowns. Key component of this thing for November. But we talked about the, the pass targets. We talked about the offensive line a bit, Mark, about the man, the trigger man. Drew Aller. I mean, it's a showtime now. It feels like for better or worse, based on what we have learned and, and not seen, quite frankly, from the ground game, that, that Drew Aller really does have the keys to this offense. And if they want to go out and win four games here in November and get to 11 and one and really make their case, he's going to help. He's going to have to lead the way offensively. We heard something really interesting from Salim Wormley this week. Uh, very colorful language, actually, about the colorful language that Drew Aller is using these days, just about how much more authoritative and in command he is. I'd imagine a moment like the one he experienced late in Indiana, a crunch time success is going to be a good feather in his cap for his confidence and for his ability to direct this offense. But Mark, it's time to learn a lot about the sophomore quarterback. The kid gloves have to come off. I think they've been off for a while now, but 19 touchdowns, one turnover, four games ahead of him to really write the narrative about how people are going to remember his first season as Penn State starting quarterback. Yeah, we're going into this final third of the of the regular season, and it sure seems to me like it's time for them to let him go a little bit. I completely understand what what the coaching staff wanted to do when you have a young quarterback to 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 get him in a position. Franklin addressed this earlier in the year with the the Chuckett comments, uh, but it, it's it's very difficult um, to to teach these guys. To, to, to be willing to to play it safe, to not take chances all the time. But I think there's a balancing act. And and maybe that play to Keandre Lambert-Smith is the one that gives him a little bit more confidence and maybe the coaching staff more confidence for him to take a, a, a more chances here and there. Because I think he'll be better if he is able to do that. And even if it comes at the expense of an occasional interception, we've seen that he could bounce back from that at this point. So I'm really anxious to see if they allow him to do more stuff down the middle of the field, you know, where you're maybe throwing it in the harm's way, trust his arm strength, uh, take some deeper shots. Even if it's picked off way down the field, it ends up being the same as a punt. I'm not saying just go all crazy willy-nilly, but we see the talent that this guy has that this kid has. And I think it's time to, 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 to start, start showing more confidence in him in his decision-making and what he's going to do, because ultimately to be the best quarterback he's going to be, he can't be playing it safe the way he did to this point. That was good for this, to this point of his development, but he's no longer a true sophomore. I mean, this guy is now a veteran quarterback. He started games in big time atmospheres. He led a comeback. I mean, he has all these things going for him and, and, Again, I think this would be a good opponent to allow him to kind of cut loose a little bit. Now, when you think about the ground game right now, I think to the point of Drew Aller, okay, now facts versus fiction, expectations versus reality, two months of sample size, and that's what we're saying. Now we're going to apply it to November. I think when you look at the, the backfield right now, no, I'm thinking Catron Allen needs to be fed a bit here, Daniel. I think, I think you made the point last episode that he – when healthy, and, and he seems to be healthy now, he was nicked up there for a bit, it seemed, early in, in October, but 
he looks very much like the same running back we saw last year. He was never a guy that was running for 50 plus yards over and over and over again, but getting six, seven, you know, and now he, you know, he can, he can get it done in the ground uh, in the past game a bit was very important on that final possession, a 10 yard run an 11 yard reception finished the game with 81 yards. Uh, he, you know, what do you make of Catron Allen? I know they have this balancing act and, and it's something they're going to have to walk the tightrope on until these guys eventually part ways and their football careers go elsewhere between Catron Allen and Nick Singleton. But from the production standpoint on the ground, I want to point out Nick Singleton has been a, a very improved weapon as a receiver and a very important one at that. But on the ground right now, it just seems like Catron Allen consistently the more effective runner. And when James Franklin is harping on staying on schedule to set up manageable third downs, seems like Catron Allen may be the answer there. Allen's definitely looked more like his freshman self, I think, than Nick Singleton has. I think that that's pretty pretty obvious. <laughs> Not really an argument there, but I think that Catron Allen is the type of guy that in this sort of matchup where you're going up against a team that uh, has been reeling for, for the past month um, and that this is kind of their, they're going up into a, a do or die situation pretty much. Uh, and you can really lean on them. You can use this offensive line that maybe hasn't been as dominant as we thought it has been, but you can land a couple a couple punches early through that ground game with that line with a running back like Katron Allen, and then just kind of wear things down and you know assert your your control over the game. I think that that's an area where Katron Allen can play a very big role and just kind of dictating the tempo of the game, dictating the terms of the game, um, setting a tone for you. Uh, you know, when you watch him run, I mean, he's still picking up those extra two or three yards after contact. I mean, he does, he doesn't go down easy. He's always fighting forward. You know, he's always looking uh, for those extra kinds of yards. And I think one of the things that you remember from this Maryland team last year is that when you got into the second half of that game, those linebackers, those defensive backs, maybe some of those defensive linemen, they wanted nothing to do with tackling Nick Singleton. I think you think about his second touchdown run out of the tee where he just kind of dragged a guy in who was kind of sort of trying to tackle him, kind of trying to strip him, wasn't you know really committing either way. Um, I think that that's something that really stands out about um, the identity of the team that you're going up against. And if you have Katron Allen, uh, he's the type of running back that can really, really take advantage of that and do some damage. So you know, I think that you know, I don't know what the number is for Katron Allen in terms of carries. Maybe he gets up close to 20 again. Maybe he's maybe there. It's an even split around 15 again. But I think that he is someone who can get a couple nice runs early, get into a rhythm. And then as as the game goes on and, and Penn State theoretically asserts itself, he can really salt this game away at the end. Catron Allen on the season uh, is now at 4.6 yards per carry. He's at 4.2 yards or better in six of eight contests this year. Nick Singleton finishing under four yards per carry in five of eight contests on the season. His high mark on the year was 5.4 yards per carry against West Virginia in the season opener. 13 carries, 70 yards, uh, one touchdown. He had 80 yards against Northwestern that he had to turn out on 21 carries. Last week against Indiana, Singleton goes 15 carries, 50 yards, one touchdown. He does lead the team with eight total touchdowns, uh, but we just have seen that, that, that effectiveness along with seven 
last week for Singleton. As we said, important 28-yard gain as a receiver. He got five passes overall, uh, but just not have has not seen that that same uh, effectiveness and 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 dazzling display like we saw so much throughout his freshman year. November will be a great time to, to remind everybody just how special he is. Uh, so we'll find out. Guys, let's dive into one more. We talked about the, the Penn State offensive line handling that 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 Terps pass rush and what they've been able to do. Mark, I want to throw this one to you. Penn State defense versus Maryland's pass attack. Uh, only two Power 5 quarterbacks have thrown more passes than Tagovailoa to this point in the season. He's got a pretty good arsenal of wide receivers to work with. We've seen it work to their advantage in a couple Penn State matchups in years past. But you look at this one, and, and someone who really seems to have something to prove, particularly is Kalen King. But overall, this pass defense, after some lapses against Indiana, they got a bounce-back game against one of the more impressive quarterbacks they'll face. Yeah, and that's where I think having a mean Vanover uh, will be big for them because I think a lot of what they should be able to do, depending on where Maryland is uh, in terms of down and distance, but you know, I think if they're able to use that three defensive end package, you know, the, the version of their prowler, uh, that could be very dangerous. I mean, in terms of what they're able to do uh, rushing the passer, we're just assuming that Chop isn't going to play. We don't know that for sure, but that's what, what where uh, kind of signs are pointing to. And we all know how effective he is in that package because they could really move him in all these different spots, and it's very difficult for different linemen to kind of match up with him, especially if he's coming inside. But I think if you have a mean Vanover, he's a guy who's played defensive end. He's played defensive tackle in his career. And that's going to give you the flexibility with Adisa Isaac and Denai Dennis Sutton uh, on on the outside of that. I think the depth that they have in the secondary plays well. You look at Maryland, as you mentioned, a very good passing team, not a tremendous rushing team. So I think a lot of those packages that Manny Diaz is able to use could be very effective uh, if they are able to bounce back and and not have some of the blown assignments that they had uh, against Indiana, obviously. But I do think having a mean Vanover if he's back and short of him, I just don't know that Zariah Fisher can do some of those same types of things, or if they, he has a size, or maybe you would move deny inside uh, in those packages. But I think being able to use those specialty packages, look for a lot of those uh, against Tunga Vailoa. And, and they've had 10 sacks against him, if I'm not incorrect over the last two games, then I think getting to him again is going to be key, forcing him to make mistakes, which he's done against Penn State recently. And from a personnel standpoint, something to keep tabs on here. Kobe King played as close to the level or, or close to the snap totals as we've seen as the uh, starters in, in Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter. He was back in the starting lineup last week. We saw a couple weeks prior that Daquan Hardy was featured in the starting lineup. They went with five defensive backs for their first look. And we saw very little of Kobe King, who's been the starting middle linebacker. That changed in a big way. He played as much football as he has all season long alongside Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs last Saturday. So what does this defense show up and look like in, uh, against Tua Tagovailoa uh, Tua, Tua down there? Uh, we'll, we'll find out. I think we're going to see more of Daquan Hardy, though, than we did last week, maybe as a punt returner as well. Let's get into our players to watch. And, Mark, we'll begin with you. Uh, Daniel, you'll follow. Yeah, I'm going to go with the low-hanging fruit and say Dante Cephas. Uh, I just got a good vibe from him when we were talking to him. And as Daniel pointed out, I didn't realize that till yesterday when Daniel dug it up. But, you know, 10 catches for 151 yards and a TD the last time he played at Maryland. I, I think he's due for a breakout. He's a guy that Penn State really needs to step up. I mean, we don't know how long Trey Wallace is going to be out. Did not look particularly good when his arm was in a sling. So to me, uh, Dante Cephas is is my player to watch. I think if he's able to do well, 
I think that's going to allow uh, the rest other people on offense to have less pressure on them. You just need a second viable option, at least in that wide receiver core. Even if you're playing so much 12 personnel, you just need somebody to take some of that pressure off. And I think he's the guy who can do it. Daniel. I'm going to go with Zane Durant, uh, the defensive tackle. I, I think that he's come along really, really well over the course of the season. He had a really big game at Northwestern. Uh, he's made a couple of nice plays the past two weeks against Ohio state and Indiana. And I think that when you talk about not having Chop Robinson and you know maybe looking for a little bit more from the pass rush to make up for him, I think that Zane Durant is the type of player that can really help you there on the interior. We've heard really good things about his explosiveness, his twitchiness, has a little bit of a different body type on the interior. Um, and I think that when you're talking about the the Prowler package uh, and, and what they're going to do without Chop, since they've been doing the, the three defensive ends, I mean, I think you put him in the middle of that. It gives you athleticism and explosiveness up the gut. It's a little bit different, obviously, than Chop Robinson because Chop Robinson is the level of player that he is. Um, but I think that when you talk about generating pressure, getting getting after Talia Tungavailoa, trying to force him into the, some of these back-breaking mistakes, which he's made a bunch of, not just against Penn State, but in a ton of big games for Maryland over the course of his career. I think Zane Durant is the type of player who can make some of those things happen. I'm going to go just pair two people in one, but bear with me. I'm going to fuse, fuse it and say special teams returner. So Daquan Hardy, punt returner, Nick Singleton. I just spoke about how Singleton hasn't been able to find that spark on the ground, and it's been frustrating for everybody and, and no one more than her, him, I'm sure. But the ability to maybe get loose on a kickoff return, we heard from Jeff Ehrman. You look at the, the, the stat sheet last week, they have a 60-plus yard return against Northwestern in that close loss. It's been a bit of an issue for them on special teams over the course of this year. And so I'm thinking this seems like it's a plus for Penn State generally. So against Maryland, that should really work to your advantage. And what more would be beneficial for Drew Aller, a guy who's really struggled thus far to find his footing on the road than getting set up with some short fields by the punt returner or kick returner spot? So I'll say Nick Singleton, Daquan Hardy. We, we, we thought we saw him return a third punt in three games uh, last week. It was called back due to a penalty, but he clearly is not lacking confidence. If he has the chance, he's going to take it. So I think uh, I like the odds of, of one of these guys in, in, in those roles going big, maybe not to the end zone, but really setting up shot for the offense. And sorry for breaking the rules there by picking two dudes, but I just feel like this is an exploitable element of Maryland right now. They've got a few of them because they are on a three-game losing streak. And to me, this is kind of a burgeoning you know, positive about Penn State season is what they've been able to do on special teams and in that return game thus far. Let's get to our score predictions and our bold predictions. And Daniel, we begin with you. I'm going to start with my bold prediction that I hinted at a little bit earlier. I think we're going to see a big game from the tight ends. I know that some people want to see more from the, the younger wide receivers, getting more wide receivers involved, but I think that Penn State is going to stick with what's worked for them up until this point, and that's the tight ends. I think that Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren are going to combine for season highs in catches and yards. I think I set my lines at 12 catches for at least 100 yards and two touchdowns in this game. Uh, the most combined catches they've had in a game this season is eight, which has happened twice. Their most combined yards is 86, and their most combined touchdowns is three. Um, I think that Penn State is going to look to them to keep this offense on schedule. Um, Drew Aller, I think, has a good rapport with both of them, especially when you get down near the end zone with Tyler Warren. Um, and I think that that's going to show up. Might not make for the most exciting football, 
But for Penn State, I think the hope is that it helps you be a lot more efficient. So I'm looking for a big game from those two. As for the game, uh, I talked about this a little bit on Tuesday. Um, it, It feels like that under James Franklin, you've seen Penn State get got by losses the week before. But in terms of having a big game up ahead with Michigan uh, looming next week, I feel like I haven't really seen Franklin's teams get caught looking ahead um, too often or or that I can really remember. Obviously, I don't have a lot of history here, Um, but I just feel like that Penn State, there won't be much of a hangover left from Ohio State. They won't get caught looking ahead to Michigan, and it'll put them in a really good position to take care of business against a team that has lost three straight games, seems to be in a little bit of a a free fall, trying to figure out what's next, find its footing. Maybe Maryland makes it interesting for a quarter, a half, three quarters, but I think that Penn State's talent level uh, is going to win out, and I have Penn State pulling away for a 34-14 victory down in College Park on Saturday. All right. 20, 20 point victory for Penn State. Mark, what do we what do we get the line at for, for our predictions this week? It's uh ten point five. It's it's dropped since then. But okay. So uh, what we went with ten and a half when we got our predictions in. Yeah. We're 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 all riding a two game losing streak in terms of uh working against the spread here. Mark, what do you got for us? Yeah, James Franklin on his call-in show. Not why do I keep calling it a call-in show? Nobody calls in. It used to be a call-in show. You guys are too young for that, but it was funny. Like Jerry from Philly, people who are listening will be laughing about that. Uh, people would actually call into Joe Paterno, and it was actually pretty funny. Uh, you never knew where it was going to go. But on his radio show last week, uh, James Franklin dropped a little nugget. Then he's like, he he's making on as if he's been talking about this all season, but but he hasn't, at least not with us. But that they've been working on a package every week that that has uh, Drew Aller and Bo Pribula on the field at the same time. And uh, yesterday, we're recording this on Thursday, so that was Wednesday. Um, I asked him, "Was that? Are you guys actually doing that?" He goes, "Yeah, we're doing it." And he explained why he's doing it. And you know, my bold prediction is going to be that they're going to unveil that at some point this week. Why? Because why would you be working on it all season if you're not going to put it on tape ahead of the Michigan game, right? I mean, if you're doing it, you might as well go ahead and throw it out there and and, and give it a give, give it a whirl. I'm anxious to see exactly how that will work. These things haven't always gone over particularly well when they've tried them in the past. So uh, let's see if they're able to pull it off uh, this time. Not sure that'll have a gigantic impact on the game, but I think it's something interesting for people uh, to look out for. With respect to the game, I'm going to go back to what I said about the PSU defense. I think it's going to set a tone. I don't know that Maryland's going to be able to score enough points to keep up with Penn State. Uh, at the end of the day. I mean, you're looking at a team that over the last three weeks has averaged just over three touchdowns. And I think when you're looking at the best defense they'll have faced, and I include Ohio State in that, I don't think they're going to get there. So I'm picking it uh, by the wholly unique score. I was the first one to predict this of Penn State, a 31, Maryland 17, a 14-point victory. And uh, again, my unique score that that, uh, I was the first one to pick. That's a really nice pick you just made, Mark. Really nice pick. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it even better. I'm gonna present it, improve, you know, shining up a little bit. Penn Thanks. State 31, Maryland 17. How's that sound <laughs> to you? Um, yeah. So I think a 14 point win. We're all thinking Penn State covers the spread here, and that would mean, in my estimation, if they, if they come away with a two possession game, this is this is a get right game for them returning home against Michigan. 
look, you, you can certainly say that that Penn State right now is is something's maybe a little missed. You're trying to figure that out. Can, can they get back? The can they show that they're a dominant team and and, and set the stage for November and start that on Saturday? Um, or will we see you know, some of the issues that popped up against Indiana and, and, and some of the offensive issues that have been a problem all season just fester a little bit worse as we get into November? Um, I think we're going to see Penn State come up with an answer here. And I think, meanwhile, Maryland, if you want to look about a team's mindset or their trajectory or whatever, this is a mess right now down in Maryland. And, and I don't think it's going to get any better on Saturday. Um, so I think ultimately it's going to be Penn State's defense leading the charge here, being able to, to be, again, the unit you can lean on. I do. I think that was an outlier that we saw last week. I think we we're all on the record. If we see it back to back weeks, then it becomes a different kind of topic for us on our next podcast. But I think that defense puts the performance behind them. I think for a second consecutive game, well, third, as you mentioned, Mark, they're able to make Tango Vailoa uncomfortable as this game goes on and on. I think at least three second half sacks. Diza Isaac steps up again. He was a guy who was really catching fire midseason. Um, so 31-17, just like you, Mark. Um, and and you know, you did set it first. You, you put it out there first. So I'll let you get credit if they land right on that. But uh, we've all got Penn State improving to eight and one with Michigan coming to town. And meanwhile, everything going on in Ann Arbor. We'll see how that continues to brew between now and kickoff in Beaver Stadium noon uh, on November 11th. But fellas, you're heading down to Maryland. Uh, I'll be here at our headquarters in Happy Valley. We'll have our post-game podcast on Saturday. But between now and 3.30 kickoff, a ton of coverage coming your way at lines247.com. We'll have all of our pregame notes. I'm going to spotlight 10 players to really keep close tabs on as November gets underway because they could really dictate how this rest of the season goes. Mark, Daniel, appreciate the perspective and all the coverage here. Game week number nine just about in the books for us. Hard to believe, but uh, November is here, and, and we'll find out what Penn State's all about. It's going to be a fun weekend. Thanks, Tyler. All right. Good stuff from Daniel and Mark. And before them, Jeff Ehrman, who covers Maryland uh, for 24-7 Sports. We'll be back with an episode for you on Saturday night after Penn State versus Maryland. And then back with four more episodes for week number 10. And it will be a big week number 10 coming our way next week. For now, stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.